Hello, and welcome to Citizen Kane Minute, the show that examines the greatest film of all time, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me to discuss minutes 75 to 80 of Citizen Kane is my friend, Abel Padilla. Hi, Abel. Hi, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Right, <laughs> exactly. So, as I said, we're here to talk about minutes 75 to 80 of Citizen Kane. They're going to start with uh, Charlie and Jed drinking together, and they're going to end with Mr. Bernstein reading the infamous review. Uh, but before we get to the minutes in question, Nabel, I got to ask you, when did you first see Citizen Kane? I saw it. Kind of, you know, it's weird because everybody seems to listen or, I mean, everybody seems to watch Kane uh, later in life, and I'm no exception. I mean, I'm sure my dad tried to get me to watch when I was younger, but I have a feeling that when I saw that opening sequence with um, with the castle in the background, I said, oh, it's a vampire movie. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, really? So, that would that turn you away from it? Uh, I was a real scaredy cat. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So um, as soon as I, I have a feeling I saw that and I just, I just, ran off. I was like, nope, this doesn't look like it's for me. But it's weird because I grew up in New York and in New York City, it, it's a real casual and easy thing to be a movie fan. Because in the 70s, those syndication blocks that you had mentioned in previous episodes, mm -hmm. they were in full force at the time. And so it was really easy to catch old movie. So I was, I was, I was, Introduced to Hitchcock at an early age, uh, John Ford's Westerns at an early age, but somehow I missed this. And so I didn't see it till long after college, maybe about five years out. And I'd seen pieces of it. I, I remember growing up seeing Orson Welles everywhere because he was on all the talk shows and he was, he was at, you know, Paul Masson commercials. And so I knew of him and I knew basically the gist of the movie. And uh, it wasn't until I was probably married with my wife and we watched it together. And I remember watching it and going, huh. And it's, I it's not a vampire movie. It. You know, it was funny, too, because I, I remember that I had seen Magnificent Embersons already and I'd already seen um, The Third Man already. So when this came on, I really wasn't sure what to think because Kane is... You know, in some ways, he would be the bad guy, but he wasn't. But he was also the hero, but he didn't act like it. So it really threw me for a loop. So I really needed to digest it. And then I watched it again. And I was I think I was better prepared for it the second time around. You said your dad tried would have tried to show it to you. Was he a big movie fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was born in 1920. So he was probably he'd probably seen it, you know, off and on throughout the years. He was a big movie buff. He loved, you know, um, loved Humphrey Bogart, loved Westerns. Um, he would watch, he had an amazing capacity to watch any Western, no matter how uh, bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, oh, and he also had a big thing for Tarzan, which I <laughs> okay. could never understand when I was little. I, you know, if you're a big fan of Tarzan, there's a lot of movies to watch. So I mean, oh, you can yeah, really get into there it. Is, there's, there yeah. Is. Yeah. And it wasn't, uh, um, recently I'd seen Tar the first one with Johnny Weissmuller. And that's where I understood. It's like, Oh, I get it. Because, um, he'd seen a lot of the fifties movies where they looked sort of, I don't know, uh, lower budget. 
And I, I never understood it. But yeah, he was a huge movie fan. So he was always trying to introduce me to different movies and stuff like that. No, so, good for him. Uh, That's so, wonderful. so I kind of blame him for, for, for me turning out the way I did. <laughs> I, well, sure. Uh, <laughs> we, we all blame our parents for that. Uh, so when you said, you said you finally did see it and you, and you, and then you watched it the second time and you really loved it. Do you remember what it was? What was so amazing? Was it just the story, the way it was told? Were you impressed by the, the technical aspects of it? I mean, what, what was well, it resonating? Uh, when I saw it the first time, I was really impressed with the technical parts. Like there are some parts, uh, even now that when I watch them, I'll just gasp because of the sheer um, technical aspect. Cause, um, I, uh, I went to art school and I went in for animation. So there was a lot of discussion about real, you know, real life movies mm-hmm. so that it's not, it's not just animated movies. And we were, you know, we were studying the techniques of live action movies and trying to apply some of those techniques, you know, or at least study them so we know about them when, when it came time for animation. There are parts of Kane which feel like an animated movie because there are so many matte paintings in the mm-hmm. background or, or, or just little things going on. And, um, so it was, it was, it was kind of an easy movie in art school to, to study and, and, you know, study for the technique and to see how it, how, how, it, how it influenced things after. Absolutely. I, by the way, I, when I was in art school, uh, there were two tracks. There was the illustrator track and the animation track. And they made mm-hmm. us, I didn't go into animation, but they made us do a little bit of animation just to kind yeah. of get our feet wet in it. Boy, did I hate that. <laughs> I don't know how you made it. Oh, really? It. Oh, it was yeah. so tedious. I was yeah. like, I can't believe anybody does this. I mean, oh, I bet yeah. they do, but tedious. oh, but, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but that was, that was, that was my jam. Like I really, I really loved it. Like the idea where I, I draw a couple of lines on, on, on paper, draw a couple of more lines on the next paper, draw another couple of lines on the next page. And like you play it back and it's moving. Mm-hmm. And that to me was, was a pretty awesome thing. It absolutely, it's, it's hugely impressive, but I just did not have the, the, the patience. For it, oh, so. um, I, I had, I had a, I had a, uh, a, an Orson Welles story. I had a, um, I had a storyboarding class. And so part one is one of, well, the, the final assignment was to storyboard a specific scene from a movie. And the teacher didn't care which one it was. He offered the, um, the biplane scene from North by Northwest as an example. And he showed some of Hitchcock's storyboards for that sequence. And I think Touch of Evil had just come on TCM and it was my first time watching it. And I was just stunned. And so because I was super enthused over um, animation and because I had no clue what I was getting into, I broke down the storyboard for the opening sequence, that five minute sequence with the tracking camera. Mm -hmm. And my teacher thought I was nuts, but he's like, go ahead. And it took a while, but it, it, uh, it really made me appreciate that sequence more breaking it down to see what went into it. And um, yeah, it was just amazing. Oh, so, okay. So the point of that assignment was not to change what they did. It was to kind of uh, re kind of uh, go backwards and take what was in the film and to break it down into the initial storyboards. That was the idea of the assignment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Because I thought he was asking you to break it down better than say Hitchcock did. I'm like, wait a minute. How is anybody supposed to do that? 
Gotcha. No, right, that, 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 was, they, that was very much one of those. Here's what they did. Go backwards, sketch it out, and then, you know, draw the motion lines showing, uh, have the notation as to whether it's a close-up or not, uh, long shot, you know, all medium shot, all, all that stuff. And we had to um, break things down. And, and I know... I know I bit off more than I can chew, but uh, it was, it was, it was fun. It was yeah. also the, um, it was the older version. So it was the Mancini uh, soundtrack playing in the background. Okay. So it wasn't the, the, the newer one where it was all quiet and with all the ambient noise of the street. Mm-hmm. So I had that Mancini, um, soundtrack playing in my head for quite a while after that. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, storyboards I liked that I liked doing. So that, that, that was always fun when we got a chance to do that. That's an interesting assignment. We never got to do that at, at Cuber. That would have been, I would have enjoyed yeah. that. It was like, it was like drawing comics. Like, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. So, okay. So now have you gone back and watched it, uh, watched Citizen Kane often since then? Um, I have this, the viewing habits that my dad had where if, if it's on, he'll just stop and watch. And so I'll do that much to the, to the consternation of the rest of my family. <laughs> It's like, oh, that movie again. <laughs> yeah. And so I'll, you know, if it's on TCM or something like that, I'll just pick up from where it is, see where, you know, um, you know, what, what scene, sequence or whatever it is, and just watch for a while until I get enough comments. And then I, you know, give the remote to somebody else. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um... So it's, it's one of those things that, that I get regular because TCM's pretty good about playing it pretty often. Mm-hmm. you know at least you know twice a year or something like that at least so so i always uh you know i always seem to find it <laughs> so <laughs> so instead of asking you do you think it's the greatest film of all time I, i've now been sort of asking people what other movies would you put on that list do you think it belongs in that that pantheon of the greatest films of all time and and if so are there other ones that you think uh, it, it sort of stands alongside well that was funny because um i i had been looking into like who declared this as one of the greatest films of all time? Cause I wanted to see the rest of the list of movies. Uh, today I found AFI's original list and I'm looking at the list and I'm like, yeah, no, that one's good. No, that one's good. Yeah. That, that, okay. I can see why that one's, you know, I was, I'm going through the list. And I'm going, yeah, no, those are all good choices. And, and, but Kane kind of sticks out to me. See, the way I always thought of it was, um, this was a list composed by, movie nerds. These are people who, who, who watched movies that I bet you most moving pub, movie viewing public hasn't seen before. So they kind of know their stuff. It's sort of like, um, when, uh, Rolling Stone would come out with their, uh, best 100 albums of all time. And, you know, my brother would, would look at the albums because he was a big, uh, music fan and he would look on the list to see what gaps in his, uh, collection he might have and we'd notice how some albums would be there one year and then it'd sort of fall out of favor and then mm-hmm. another album would be there and i feel like the afi list is kind of like that uh the american film institute list because mm-hmm. i saw the how, how um their updates so some movies will get swapped out some movies will get swapped in um the uh the criteria for what's on the list will change uh and kane seems to sit on top <laughs> and I think I think it's kind of I think it's kind of deserved. I think uh, I think it's one of those films where okay, this is going to sound like there's real magic on that in that movie. 
and I'm not talking about um, about uh, you know Wells doing sleight of hand tricks or anything like that. Like there's stuff in Citizen Kane that still makes me gasp watching it years later. Like they're just like just the um, not just the technical part, but the script is really sharp. Like the script sounds really modern. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound dated at all. They sound like real people talking. Like there are a lot of films from the 30s and 40s where the dialogue is just really, you know, of its time. It's like, who's, who talks like that? <laughs> like just this morning, I was joking with my wife about um, the Ten Commandments, which came out in the 50s. Yeah. And the dialogue in there is so uniquely awful at times. <laughs> Like so stilted, but it's still a fun movie to watch. There are still parts in the Ten Commandments where I'm like, wow, that is that is a really good scene right there. But I feel like Kane, um, it has more of that and still somehow remains current, especially after the past, you know, five, six yeah. years where we yeah. sort of see something like that play out in real life. Yeah, it's fresh all over again. Uh, regarding the yeah. AFI, I think a couple of years ago, it Kane got dethroned by Vertigo. I think mm-hmm. they, the Vertigo, and I, you know, I was like, what? I mean, not only do I think Kane should be at the top of the list, I wouldn't even put Vertigo as my favorite Hitchcock movie, let right. alone my favorite movie, you know, like the best movie of all time. So I was a little like, all right, you know, somebody was really pulling for Vertigo this year, but okay, <laughs> but but it's right. Kane is always going to be on the list one way or the other. It may not be number one, but it's, you know, not for a very long, not for a very long time will it probably ever even drop out of the top ten, because you're just going to have people that are. It's going to just sort of live forever. And yeah, it does mm-hmm. still feel very current and very fresh. And yeah, there's a lot of overlapping dialogue. There's a lot. Of, yeah, they don't talk like they do in you know. Say, Joe, what do you know? They don't. There's none of that really going on in Citizen King. Yeah, it's not. It's not an affected way of talking. They just sound like normal people talking. Yep, absolutely. And and that's really. That's that's one of those nice things that, that it's like a um, for people who aren't into movies, if the dialogue sounds odd to them, that's one way of of cutting out of being involved. And I feel because it sounds because it sounds right, that's one less thing to to take them out of the film. Absolutely. Um, and spe- speaking of very naturalistic dialogue, uh, these five minutes are going to open with that, where we have uh, Kane and Charlie talking. Uh, he joins uh, Jed for a drink and he uh, Jed asks that he wants to basically get transferred over to Chicago. And Kane gives him that warning about, you're not going to like it, Jebediah. They've never heard of lobster Thermidor and the, the winds whip off the lake, mighty cold. And, and of course, Jed cannot be, uh, cannot be dissuaded from that. And it's sort of interesting. I mean, you know, Kane is talking like he knows Chicago and you're kind of wondering, well, how does he know Chicago? Well, he's lived a lot of places, but Wells himself, had a lot of history with Chicago. Of course, he was from Wisconsin, not that mm-hmm. not Chicago, but it's not that far away. And uh, I was like, he was a theater critic for hot for a uh, for a newspaper in Highland Park, Illinois, when he was thirteen. Wow, he was thirteen years old writing a theater criticism column. <laughs> it's, just, it's ridiculous <laughs> with this guy. I mean, come on. I mean, what? A, at thirteen, I was still like, oh, cool, I got the Ugonaut for my Star Wars collection. And here is young Orson Welles writing theater criticism for a adult newspaper. I mean, this guy is just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then he, he mentioned there's a again there's a great line of dialogue in that scene where he 
talks about, uh, you know, you're only going to live by, I can only live by my own terms. Those are back. Those are the yep. only term anyone ever knows, mm-hmm. uh, which is again, a marvelous turn of phrase. Yeah. So after uh, they share a drink together and they fade out, we see this big headline, Kane marries singer. And we in see quotes. that singer is in quotes. Uh, <laughs> now, obviously, that is not an Inquirer paper because they would not be putting quotes over singer. So it's probably a rival newspaper. And there's a really, again, interesting, wonderfully interesting uh, visual effect here. We see the paper, uh, this headline, and then it slowly fades. But we still see it on the screen as through the lettering, kind of uh, the Kane and Susan and all these reporters sort of pop through, and then eventually the headline disappears completely, and we see them kind of getting rushed by these reporters. Again, it's a it's a really great, cool visual effect. Yeah, I I, I had I had the same note that you did, where um, with um, with oh, that's clearly not an Inquirer or a, a Kane owned paper that had that title, yeah. and um, I just thought that effect was. It's an effect that we saw already with the um, when we when we saw Susan's apartment door uh, show up on the newspaper as as you know the love nest or whatever it was called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Singers love nest. Yeah, I think they think they even literally call it the love nest at that point. Yeah. Uh, so King gets uh, interviewed briefly by a reporter, and he asks, well, you know, kind of what their plans are, and he has the ominous answer. Uh, we're going to be a great opera star, oh, yeah. uh, which every goes blows by everybody. But of mm-hmm. course, that's a very, very bad, op- a very, very uh, ominous answer to give because we're not going to be an opera star. You know, he she's going to be an opera star, supposedly. But uh, of course, we're seeing Kane is is already taking way too much possession. And then we cut to another headline. Kane builds opera house, which has to be uh, in the inverse of the previous headline has to be an inquirer headline because who? Who else would give that small detail, that level of column space? I mean, who cares? He builds an opera house. What's the difference? But of course, in an Inquirer paper, that's like, you know, front page news. She even has a, a, a line of dialogue when, the, when she's um, being interviewed by the reporter where uh, she says something along the lines of, he's going to build me an opera house, like if I agree mm-hmm. to it. Yep. <laughs> um, we then cut to uh, her, Susan, at the opera. And it's interesting, again, how much this movie plays with time because we're going to end up seeing this scene twice in a very yeah. short period of time as it loops around. Because we, uh, we see the, the, uh, the, opera, the, uh, the opera coach trying to instruct Susan as she's about to go on stage. I love the older guy who comes from behind and has got his and his hand, his hand on his head and he's absolutely mortified. He knows how badly this is going to go. And I don't know what job he has, but obviously he doesn't have to be uh, with Susan the way the opera coaches. But man, I love that guy's face. He's just kind of like, oh, this is just going to be terrible. I couldn't figure, I couldn't determine the IMDb who that actor was because he doesn't get a line. Mm-hmm. But man, I just love his face. It's just perfect. And in fact, he shows up a couple of seconds later where he's mm-hmm. got, I guess it's the libretto in his hand and he's leafing through it and it looks like, like an encyclopedia volume. <laughs> and, and I thought it was just a, like this funny bit of, of business and, and, and just adding to the chaos of the moment. Cause you, you, the first picture you see of, of Susan is she's already stressed out by what's going on. Her face is not the face of somebody who feels confident about what's going on around her. Like she looks like she's in a panic. And then the chaos of the, of, of the scene as, as they, as they continue, 
you know, just sort of underlines it too, especially when the uh, her teacher's first first line of dialogue is no, 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 no. like (laughs) this is this is not going to go good. No. Uh, And I love that this scene where we see her getting preparing for the opera and the, 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 the stage curtain lifts. We will see the reverse of this shot. A couple minutes later, we will, we will, as I mentioned, we will again see Susan preparing and yeah. we will see the opera coach going, no, 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 no. And, and except the camera at a certain point will be behind her and yep. we see her in front of the dark stage and we just see the stage lights. But here we're seeing it from the front. So this is the same exact scene, but from two completely different angles uh, within a couple of minutes of each other. And it's, it's, it, it's something that I had to see this movie, I don't know, a couple of dozen times before I realized that. That I was like, oh wait, we're seeing the exact same moment from two different perspectives. It's just fantastic. But I, I think that's part of part of the um, the uh, the device that that Wells is using as each person tells their own story because each person has a specific angle on the part of the story that they're telling. Mm-hmm. And in the scene that we're watching now, we're kind of seeing it from from Jedediah's point of view in a way if he's out in the audience and then the the scene that or the the reverse of that 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 you were discussing now that's from susan's point of view right right so she's looking out at the audience in you know and it's just black and she has no uh support no 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 one um helping her out she's just uh, uh alone on the stage it's fantastic it's really great yeah just imagine that uh that this is Jed's point of view. I mean, we know that he's in the balcony uh, right. because we'll see that shortly. So he's not directly looking. We're, we're here kind of like center stage, but, but generally, yes, that's his point of view. And so we hear Susan start to sing and there is a slow pan up. And then we get another great visual effect from the film where due to some nice hidden cuts, uh, because we have a lot of uh, horizontal lines here. So it's easy to sort of hide the cuts. We pan up and we see the tops of the sets and then we see this arch and then we cut again and we're now we're way up in the rafters where two stagehands are probably about 30 feet up watching the performance. <laughs> and of course, because this is all one shot, it makes the set look like it's huge, but it's not. Right. It's two pieces of a set stitched together, hidden by a cut. And so once again, Wells is getting a lot of bang for his buck because he's making it seem like this opera set is like almost, you know, a full size opera house when of course it isn't, it's just a stage with another piece that's been stitched on later. So we get, yeah, uh, I, that's, it's, it's an amazing shot. Cause you can see the, um, the wipes as, um, it helps, uh, give the notion of height as they, as you finally, uh, settle in on the two, uh, workers upstairs. And it's, it's just a really fun and, you know, it just says, it says a lot. Plus Wells was probably used to, to what, you know, stage equipment was hanging up in the rafters from all his time on stage. So oh, yeah. Uh, we have, uh, again, we have two stage hands and they deliver a very quick review of Susan's performance <laughs> where one of them looks at the other and then simply holds his nose. And uh, there's oh, no dialogue between the two. My note uh, was that the guy on the right, he looks like the video game character Mario. <laughs> he and I said, he does. Mario not like this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. The, uh, Sometimes I can do a better Mario than that. I apologize to everyone out there. Um, <laughs> no, I wasn't bad. Um, but um, yeah, I was like, oh, he he kind of looks like Mario or the um, 
the actor who used to do the uh, the Dunkin' Donuts commercials. Oh, the time to make the donuts guy. Yeah, he does yeah. look like <laughs> yes. Um, and then the other guy, just to underline the uh, that these are two comedic. You know, this is supposed to be a comedic thing in, in the middle of, of of all this chaos and 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 upcoming tragedy and stuff like that. The guy on the left. It looks like his zipper's not all the way up. I noticed that. Yeah, you can see his <laughs> shirt tucked at coming out of his zippers. Yeah, his zipper. <laughs> <laughs> Things are casual here at the at the King Opera House. <laughs> uh, the two actors playing the stagehands are Gore Van Vleck and Jack Raymond. Now, I do not know which one is which because they're both discredited as stagehand, and there were no pictures uh, on their IMDb profile. So one one of them is Gore, and the other one is Jack. Gore Van Vleck had a was died in 1961. He was in a couple other movies like Before I Hang and Kitty Foyle. Jack Raymond, the other stagehand, died in 1951, but had a, kind of a more extensive career. He was in movies like The Setup, the great boxing movie with uh, Robert Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, Avin Costello in the Foreign Legion, oh, and boy. something called Umu Umu the Shark God. I have no idea what that is, but I really want to see it. Yeah. You know, IMDb is really great for 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 listing movies that I wish I could somehow get access to. Yeah. But gosh, I mean, <laughs> that, I don't think that's going to be showing up on HBO Max anytime. No, soon. or TCM either. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it was amazing because I was, you know, my eyes sort of scan down for titles that I'm familiar with or that I think people will recognize. But then every so often, someone will have a credit that's so out there. I'm like, I got to write that one down. So, um, um, <laughs> the shark guy just sounds. Fantastic. So then we cut to Kane coming back at the Inquirer and he looks dejected. He's sad. We see a bunch of his reporters. They're all in top hats. We see Mr. Bernstein talking about uh, the review they're going to be covering. And Bernstein's kind of going over it. And he says, uh, we've got a music, we've got a music angle, a drama angle, the social angle. And again, you're seeing the corruption of the Inquirer that the a newspaper is covering Susan Alexander's opera debut this extensively. This really isn't that big of a story. And yet they're giving it wall to wall coverage. Uh, and it just doesn't befit that. And, you know, the idea that you would have this many columnists. I mean, right now, Bernstein's talking to one of the six guys. And you figure they've all got some angle on this. And it's, yeah, it's just absurd. So then, uh, it said Kane arrives and he talks to, uh, one of his uh, one of his reporters, I believe that reporter is an actor named Edmund Cobb. Uh, again, a lot of these guys don't have their IMDb pictures, so I have to go right, by their yeah. birth. Yeah, I have to go by their birth dates and sort of look. Ah, that guy looks like he's about that age. Um, <laughs> he died in 1974. He had 666 movie credits. Wow! Set, which is the, the mark of the beast. Uh, he was <laughs> he was in movies like Tales of Terror. Mon Pa Kettle at the fair and mostly Westerns, like overwhelmingly Westerns. So I bet your dad was probably familiar with this guy. I wonder if he was an RKO player. I, I like think a, he had, like he had to have been. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that, that would make sense in a way. Like it's, it's interested me to hear all these and go, Oh, I wonder if that's an RKO film. Cause that would make kind of sense where he's just like, Oh, today I'm going to be in a Western. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I, the, the, and the amount of Westerns, I saw on this guy's IMDb profile. You just couldn't, I mean, it's almost like they just took the same four or five words and then just rejiggered them for every movie title. You yep. know, it was like yep. horse ranch, 
rodeo, whip. You know, it was like all the same words. And I'm sure my dad watched all of them. Right, exactly. You know, the, the horseman's <laughs> dilemma, the, the whipman's dilemma, the dilemma of the horseman. You know, it's just all the, this guy was probably cranking out three, three movies a week or something. But yeah, 666 credits. That's amazing. Can you imagine that? Like, I can't, I, yeah, I, at a certain point, you must have been like, I don't even know what I'm doing now. Just slap a cowboy hat on him. So then, speaking King, of hats, yes. Um, I just wanted to point out a thing here that, um, that I've, I've noticed that, uh, a kind of theme, um, that, that, that's underlined here with, with Wells's hat. His hat makes him the biggest person in the room. And there are times where I had to wonder if, if everyone else was, um, was kind of lowered a little bit to give um, Kane a little bit more um, height in the room, just to show how how important he is visually. Because when he steps into the when he steps into the newsroom, at first he's in shadow, and I thought that was a really a really neat visual where uh, when he steps in, you don't see his face; you can just tell from his posture that he knows that this was a. a, a a disaster. Like he is just exhausted. And the only thing you can see is his, his shirt, like the white of his shirt. And mm-hmm. then he steps out into the light and he's like, okay, time to, time to deal with business. When, uh, Bernstein is talking to everyone, Kane is still the tallest, like he's the one who's on top of everyone else. And he's just listening in the background. And then he steps forward and he's still the tallest person there. And I feel like that's a visual, um, metaphor that that Wells was using uh, probably starting when, like I have to check, but I, I really noticed it in um, during uh, Leland's recap where Wells is suddenly projecting, uh, not Wells, Kane is projecting hmm. himself as as a big man, and that starts with the the um, campaign poster, mm-hmm. and he's he's throwing his arms up into the air in order to to show how like. He's this giant of a man. But then you had the part where Geddes is looking over everything and he's bigger than Wells. So it's almost like, uh, or bigger than King. And so there's this, there's this thing of, of, of him wanting to be a bigger man, but then there are other bigger players in the game and he's not always quite up to, up to, uh, taking them on. So now that he's in his, in the newsroom, He's the big man again, and mm. he's in charge. And 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 Bernstein even looks a little bit shorter than normal. Like I know that's a that's a thing that that was going on before, where uh, Kane looks big, but then he's small in front of the window in um, in Thatcher's maybe Thatcher's office. Yeah, Thatcher's office. Yeah, when he signs yeah. away his and so his fortune, I feel yeah. like there's there's a thing which which plays out here, and then kind of culminates in the scene after we talk about where Leland is talking to Wells, I mean, to Kane. And, <laughs> it's so easy and, to do. And Kane is just a giant in the screen and Leland is, is kind of small mm-hmm. compared to him. Yeah, yeah, I, right. You do notice that, that when he walks in uh, and he's talking to his reporters, he looks like he's a full head taller than the mm-hmm. rest of them. Uh, not even including his hat, but the hat just gives him even further. So uh, and then, of course, uh, he finds out from Bernstein that the one review is not in yet is Jed's. So he goes in to walks down the hall and he starts he shrinks into this little silhouette 
uh, and we see him the whole time and we see the little silhouette of him in the, in the, uh, the glass door. Uh, and he's going to go talk to Jed, his old friend, Jed and Bernstein mentions that, uh, that Kane and Jed have not spoken in years. And again, it's, it's for, it's a line that goes by fairly easily. Like you're not really paying attention, but again, it took me a, a couple of notice, a couple of uh, views of this movie to let, like that really dawned on me that I'm like, wait a minute, we just saw them together and now they haven't spoken in years. And it's like, so this movie again, is just so playing with time mm-hmm. that, wow, we've only like three minutes of screen time has passed, but, but years have elapsed from mm-hmm. these characters. Cause of course, Kane's built the opera. Kane got married, built the opera house, sent, sent, you know, uh, Susan on this tour. And now it's in Chicago and Jed's going to do it. And so it's like, wow, again, it's, it's this little detail. Bernstein says it very uh, kind of quietly. They haven't spoken in years. And then you realize, like, oh, wow, really? That's how much time has jumped around this movie. And it's, I think that's part of the thing you talked about in the beginning of the show, which is like, no matter when you start this movie, you start it, you know, a half hour in an hour. in, It still feels kind of fresh because it's, it's always sort of starting in some new spot. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a story that you're way behind on because it's always mm-hmm. sort of starting in some new location. Like, All right. I'm just picking it up from here. Yeah. And as the audience, we're supposed to just, you know, roll with it and not, yeah. um, and just accept how, how, you know, we're just jumping around in time. Um, so, and uh, I, I always, I always like Bernstein's way of saying, like, he seems almost apologetic to the other people in the newsroom, like mm-hmm. trying to explain a little bit and, 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 and then realizing that he might be needed. Yeah. Like he's, 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 he's such a, um, a, uh, a servant to Kane that he's like, oh, I, I think he might need me. I better go check to see you know, right, he's, what's going he's, on. Yeah, he's figured see out. see if I can fix it. Because he's, he's kind of the fixer. Oh, totally. During this totally. part. Yeah, he's figured out why the review hasn't come in yet from, from Jed. And of course, yeah. he probably figure out that he, no, there's no typing. He, you know, he knows Jed is in his office, but he doesn't hear any typing going on. Because of course, as we see, Jed has yeah. passed out. He's drinking too much. And he has passed out on his typewriter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kane looks absolutely enraged. And he asks... Bernstein to read it and he reads the initial line where he talks about it is not my purview to worry about the uh the the, the drama angle but the you know, as a singer she's completely hopeless and he says that's the end of the the end of the review and he looks up at Kane just kind of worried like oh okay it's, it's gonna it's gonna happen now and you know he has to be honest because he knows Kane is going to read it if he doesn't. But I also know, like he he's kind of bracing for impact of what Kane's reaction is going to be. To yes, him. yes. Now, now that's what I was thinking too. It's like, oh, he's trying. He he really works. Bernstein really tries to smooth things over to 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 keep things running and and trying to reduce the amount of conflict. And um, he's you know as he's reading uh, Leland's review, he's also apologizing to to Kane, you know, mm-hmm. not in so many words, but just in the way he, he's, he's, his body language and, 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 uh, he's just, he's just amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. The way he's reading it, like he knows, yeah. you know, he's reading this horribly offensive thing to Kane and he's just kind of looking. And then that's where these, these five minutes end. It ends with, with Bernstein looking off camera at looking at Kane 
uh, reading this review. And of course, we're going to see in a moment, uh, how this review concludes, but that's the end of the, that's the end of the, the 20 minutes and uh, 20 minutes, the end of the, uh, the five minutes of the second, not 20 minutes. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff packed in there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, 20 minutes in a good way. No, it's the end of this, the end of this five minutes. So it features so much. It's so it's so dense. There's so much going on that, as I mentioned, it took me a couple of uh, views of this movie to pick up all the stuff that's in these five minutes. Again, we get yeah. the re- we're going to get a reversal of the scene in just a couple of minutes, and we have this incredibly elapsed time between uh, Kane and and Jed. And they said we're going to see sort of the the true end of their friendship is ostensibly over because they haven't spoken in years, but it's really going to end. In the next five minutes, when Kane sort of makes the decision, yeah, he, he, uh, to get out Kane, of his life, uh, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to step on on the next person's toes or anything like <laughs> that. But by giving this review, Kane event, essentially tosses both Leland and Susan under the bus, Absolutely. and he destroys, he destroys his relationship with both of them with this one act. Absolutely. So uh, that's going to do it for these five minutes of Citizen Kane. So Abel. Thank you so much for for coming by. This was great. Thanks for for. I mean, it was it was it was so much fun going over this because visually everything is just. I mean, this is all stuff that that in art school, they they you know I don't know if it was like this with you, but they part of it was to always try and make whatever image you've got on page look interesting. And this is there's so much stuff in here. I mean, with the with the silhouettes with the with the with the lines of angle, uh, even when Bernstein is there in the office, like all the all the ceiling lines focus in on Bernstein as he's reading the review, and 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 it's 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 just a, an amazing tour de force of movie magic all in one spot. And so, thank you for letting me just chat about it because it's it's just so much fun. You're very welcome. Yeah, so this is a incredibly dense film. Uh, yeah. just even in scenes that would be sort of boring in another director's hands, there's just so much visual information going on. It really yeah. is remarkable. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you so much for coming by. Uh, of course, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Citizen Kane Minute on any pie catcher of your choice. We're always talking about the movie over on Twitter at CKane Minute. And then finally, if you want to support the Find Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FW podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is if you name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to slick for their support of citizen Kane minute. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening. Come back next week for more citizen Kane minute. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane. I wish you'd come to this theater when citizen Kane plays here and decide for yourself.